This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. You bet. Let's do business, okay? Wherever you are on the planet, and maybe other planets, who's to say? I think you're going to find this next hour really, really intriguingly applicable to whatever it is that you do, professionally or spiritually, because we're going to mix up the two. Uh, how do you do that? Well, I mean, if you're talking about the religions of the world, the big ones, the multi-billion dollar corporations, or the little tiny ones, the little private ones, they all need to attract you, customers, clients, don't they? That kind of makes them a business, and that's one of the reasons why I was delighted when Brian Burkhart accepted my invitation because I ran into him at a Better Business Bureau dinner. It was called uh, the Torch Awards. And the Torch Awards are, are really splendid reasons to show up for this kind of dinner because they're rewarding people for doing business. Get this now. Stand by. Hold it. With integrity. Doing business the right way. So that you and I trust them. And Brian Burkhart was the uh, keynote speaker that evening. Very, very impressive guy. We were at the same table. And I found out about not only his book, Stand for Something, subtitled The Power of Building a Brand That People Authentically Love, but also I found out that he's done business with just about everybody around the planet, wherever you live. So, Brian, listen, we welcome you. Working with senior leaders at firms like Google, Amazon, Jim Beam, Red Bull. You ever mix Jim Beam and Red Bull? I have not. Would be an interesting That seems like a terrible idea. United Airlines, Northern Trust, Citibank, Coca-Cola, so many, many more. But what do you do for them? Uh, More than anything, I help people elevate their message so that audiences remember and act. Let me say that again. So audiences remember and act. If you think about it from so many different inputs and messages that we're flooded with, it's really easy for them to go in one ear and out the other. And perhaps harder yet to actually do something with that information. Why is it that so many businesses, though, no matter what country you're in, they seem to have the same problems of not knowing how to do what you're there to tell them how to do? I actually wondered that for a long time. It seems odd to me because the realities of the communication theory that I spend the most of my time on is old, as in Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. It's from the ancient Greeks. And what those guys discussed at length was the notion that really it's the way our brains are hardwired, is that we should answer the question, why first, and then how, and then what, in that very specific sequence. And unfortunately, the mass vast majority of both individuals and organizations do it the exact opposite. If you even think about just general conversation with new people, what do you do for a living? That's the first thing we say versus why do you do what you do? What motivates you? What's the thing you believe in? What do you stand for? Getting that right, it's incredibly powerful. And in many, many ways, it is the key to truly great communications and certainly to the best brands, the ones that we remember, the ones that we are galvanized around the ones that we shop at. That's remembering and acting. When you use metaphorically ancient Greeks, 
Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, instantly I thought of a modern Greek who made me think of yogurt differently. Because Now, you and I had not talked about this product at all. I didn't see anything in your book about this. But ancient Greeks to modern Greeks, and I thought, so there was this guy, and I, and I saw a television but Oikos, biography. Yes, right. And he, and he said, he's going to put out Greek yogurt, and he made me buy that. Not just because it was Greek yogurt, although that was kind of intriguing. He made it so attractive to me. And I still will buy Greek yogurt with the flavors that he has because he spoke to me. Absolutely. And that's kind of what you do, right? Very much so. And I think it's, it's so simple that it defies logic for most people. And it's really one of those things where practice makes this really work because that's a simple notion of flopping from what we typically do of what's and how's. It's pretty straightforward to say start with that notion of what you believe first, of what you stand for, of starting with that notion of why. But it's really challenging. Even things like I've handed you my business card, and on one side it says my name, but if you flip it over, it says make waves. The core belief of my main company is make waves. Here we are out in the desert. I'm local like you in Phoenix, not a whole lot of water. This is not waves of the aquatic variety. The waves that I make are much different. And that is our core belief. And so there's lots of people that we... Uh, may work with who say, oh, no, I, I want to blend into the woodwork. I, I want nothing of making a wave. And then there are others who have no regard for what it costs, what the process is, how long it takes, who's on my team, what the experience is. They just go, oh, I want to make waves. Yes, that's for me. And so if you can get that core belief, if you know what it is you stand for first, you can attract people of like-mindedness and you've won. That's at its core what branding really is. Like Subaru did with you. And I was reading the book. Yes, it's true. A radio talk show host who reads the book. I'm impressed. In advance. You are my favorite and so is far. It, now, isn't that stunning that, you, that anybody should do something so original, so creative as actually reading the material before the guest shows up? Amazing, sir. <laughs> but you stand for something. And the name of the book highlighted on the front Right above the, co- uh, the, uh, the subtitle, The Power of Building a Brand People Authentically Love, inside, I found that you were instantly attracted to something Subaru did. And I love the example. Share it. Yeah, this goes back just a few years. Um, they were doing something that, as a, a car manufacturer, it's incredibly expensive. They redesigned their flagship vehicle, which is called the Forester. And you can just imagine the amount of money spent from engineering to refabricating things like the uh, factory floor itself to training their team of how to actually build these cars, not to mention the marketing and distribution of these vehicles. It's, it's real money. They've, they've got to get it right. And what they realized is like lots of things, cars are very much a commodity. It's four wheels and seats and windows. I mean, these are kind of, whether it's a Jaguar, a Range Rover or Subaru or a Kia, they're essentially, at, at its core, the same. And so knowing what they stood for and leading with those core beliefs was really the smart, amazing play that Subaru did in, in, in their spots, the TV commercials. And this was not your client. This is not my commercial. Not, not my client at all. It's just a case study. 
they talked about, and, and, and the word choice is just brilliant. You can find all this stuff online. You can see all the things. But they essentially said that we believe that the back seat is the most valuable real estate on the planet. Their notion was that as people who drive, we're going to transport things like babies and kids and pets and mother-in-laws and family members, and we're going to put those precious pieces of cargo in the back seat. And so everything they did was designed with the notion of let's protect that back seat. And so the language they use is we're going to, we built everything around the back seat. We designed forward from there. And it's amazing. If you've got kids or pets or any of those family members, you suddenly don't worry about price or color or trim levels or miles to gallon or wheel to height ratio or torque. What you care about is the safety of your precious cargo. And once you get past that, then you start looking at things like what's it cost? What are the color options? What are the touring options? But and first it, they focused on the backseat. That's exactly right. They told you what they believe first. And so in a way, the other Subarus of the world and, and there's lots of them, the other manufacturers and the other family businesses who don't know how to do much after they create the product and say, now let's go out and sell it. Yeah. And then they look at one another and say, how do we do this? That's when you come in. It is. Uh, I mean, a good example, we'll stick with Subaru, for example. I, I have no dog in this fight, so by no means am I trying to uh, degrade any particular brand. But let's say it's Honda or Ford that might have similar vehicles, similar to that Subaru. But if Honda or Ford comes out and they says, we've got, 20 cars and they're $40,000 and they all come in red, white, or blue. You're just hearing what they're all about. You have no idea what that core belief is where Subaru stands so far ahead of everybody is by telling you that notion of the backseat first, that belief that galvanizes people to action. And so it really becomes an easy thing for us as consumers to go, Ooh, I'm intrigued by the Subaru. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll look at the Ford and the Honda as well. And so where most marketers get it wrong and I do mean most, like 95%, is they spend all of their time leading with those what's and how's and never uncovering what it is that they truly stand for. They don't even think about it, let alone promote it loudly. And so it's a real thing. And as individuals, even on a show like The God Show, which is so spiritually based, it's something if you ask just about anybody, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? You're going to get a whole lot of nothing. It's amazing how little time we focus on the things we actually believe in. And we are going to be talking about the things that people believe in in just a moment besides the manufacturing process. But you just caused me to stop and think of a question that I can really only ask you among the guests that we have on here weekly. If you were on a car lot selling cars as that kind of marketing person, right, and someone drove in, Subaru, Jaguar, Mercedes, Ford. And someone drove in, opened the door. Hopefully you don't leap toward the door before the people even get out of the car. Uh, that's kind of a negative. That would be bad. <laughs> but rather than the standard, what are you looking for? Can I help you buy a car today? Right. What would you ask? That is a great question. Uh, I think I would start with a statement, actually. I would say something like, welcome to Subaru. We believe that the back seat is the most valuable real estate on the planet. 
It's where your loved ones will be incredibly safe no matter what kind of journey you're on. Let me ask you a question. Do you have anyone that rides with you or do you always drive alone? Oh, yeah. And now I'm involved in a conversation. Exactly. Oh, Robin, my studio director, scratched the Ford commercials and the Honda commercials for, uh, for this hour. We may not pay the rent this month, but it's a good discussion. <laughs> Just call the sales department. Tell them that Brian's sorry. Uh, listen, this is The God Show. So let's look at the business of religion. When I called you about this, it was directly as a result of listening to the Better Business Bureau dinner and reading the book, and at no time do I ever remember anything at all about religion in any of those moments. Yeah, I, I think you are a thousand percent correct. But this show is not really about religion, but about the spirituality of humankind, whatever that means. So let me ask you about the branding of religion. Should they be doing it? I mean, this is a no-brainer, right? I mean, the answer is a thousand bazillion percent. Um, anyone, I, I think anyone will agree with this. I, I would find distractors to be difficult in this particular instance. Religion is confusing for people, regardless if it's one that you're steeped in or one that you look at from a tangential, hands-off sort of distance. It's confusing, and there are so many unknowns. So much is based on that simple word of faith that we have to look at it with a precarious and, I think, different lens. In my mind, every major religion has done a, a, a disservice to not just their followers, but those on the outside who may be interested in making it accessible. And as my initial point was, making it so people remember, and then perhaps more importantly, act. Wouldn't it be nice to know what a major religion stands for? and then go do something with that knowledge. And I think uh, as a guy who was raised Catholic on the southwest side of Chicago with a 100% Italian family, and then my dad screwed up by being German and Irish. Um, you know, I, The Irish part was a good that idea. That was fine. That was a good thing. Right, Pat? For sure. Well, Ireland sure. Didn't, didn't ever cause Poland any problems. And so the German part, you can forget. Irish and Italian were a lot of fun. You know, and we eat well. That's all that really matters. Holidays are very tasty. <laughs> but when you grew up, though, and I, and I think it's important for our audience to know, you grew up in a Catholic family, practicing Catholic? Very much. Church okay. every Sunday, CCD, uh, yeah. the whole thing. Yep. And it, what I recall more than anything, and I think this has probably uh, been discussed on your show at nauseum, is that I learned all the ritual of Catholicism, but I really can remember very clearly and you probably wouldn't be surprised for a guy who makes way for makes ways for a living that i was that kid who raised my hand and said wait i have a question and i wondered aloud about things and when i was given very poor replies it made it very difficult to know what it was that the catholic church stood for did it turn you off very much so did it turn you off of faith matters in general for sure when I called you about doing this show, I had never talked to you about this subject, about branding religions, improving business in the Vatican or the Archbishop of Canterbury's house or wherever. You found it an intriguing idea. Had you ever done anything at all linking the two? N never in a professional environment like this. The closest I can tell you was maybe two years ago now. My wife and I... Um, 
we don't have kids and she's got her own business as well. So we have a, an incredible amount of flexibility in our world. And we did a couple of weeks in Italy and like a good tourist found our way to the Vatican. And what I remember deeply about that experience was looking around using for sure it's anecdotal. I was just what I was taking in, but the evidence that was presented to me was one that the Catholic church believes in showcasing its riches. Well, all I saw was this exuberant display of stuff collected over the centuries that was untouchable, ridiculously expensive, and just sort of demonstrated a certain greed. And that, to me, was one of those moments where I thought, wow, religion and branding really do go hand in hand. And so when you called, I thought, oh, I do have just at least a, a cursory glance at thinking about how these two things are linked. I've never thought about it in a more long form like we're having uh, this discussion today but it, it's very real no doubt about it and the cathedrals of the world the catholic cathedrals uh, protestant cathedrals all of them uh, right uh, they all uh, identify to the parishioners as extremely well to do but they also are paternally uh telling you you're safe here aren't they for sure and it really is a combination of mixed messages, though. I mean, we all know the story of Jesus washing the feet of the poor. I mean, here's a guy who was willing to get down to the lowest common denominator, and yet we look at some of these regal buildings, and that discordant thought process, that can be very challenging for people. And so as a brand guy, one of the things I always want is to simplify the message. I want to make it abundantly clear what an institution, an organization, an individual stands for. And so that um, sort of incongruent message, the things you might read in the New Testament, the things you might experience at a place like a large cathedral, it's tough to manage. It's tough to have that incongruence of thought and ultimately come up to a decision on your own without an output from the church itself saying, this is the thing we stand for. It's unclear. Sunday morning at eight, uh, this program will be broadcast for the first time uh, everywhere. And from then on, whether you like it or not, it's going to be on forever. You cannot stop this machine. But I do envision someday, on a weekday perhaps, when he's not busy, Pope Francis having his attention called to this program, and Pope Francis seemingly a kind of down-to-earth guy, at least as far as... I like Pope Francis. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as far as the PR... A position that he holds. Uh, most people seem to relate to him. They like some of the things that he says. But he doesn't know whether he likes Brian Burkhardt or not, see, because he's listening to this program. And so I can see Brian, I can see the Pope, Pope Francis, particularly as regular a guy as he seems to be, picking up the phone, saying... Find this guy's company, a square planet. Square planet. Yeah. Find this square planet, Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, put me in touch with this Burkhardt guy. And uh, I'd love a trip back to Rome. It was lovely. We I, ate like champs. I want to find out what he thinks we should be doing. So let's, we're not going to be talking about just Catholicism for the rest of the show, but let's talk about that massive corporate entity worth billions upon billions of dollars in hard goods and cash yes. has a presence on every populated area of the planet. 
And still, there are such critics. And of course, in the news, there's so much more reason for social criticism. Much more negative than positive. Well, yeah. Tell Francis what it is he ought to be doing. Well, the first thing he needs to come real clearly up to speed on is that, uh, and I know this is an internally well-known, well-thought sort of idea, but you've got to get cozy with it. And that is you can't work with everybody. As I like to say, work with those that believe what you believe. He's got to be really okay saying there are some people who just don't belong here. And they got to go. They are not on the same wavelength. And so it's uh, along the lines like this is going to sound ridiculous, I know. uh, But in, in many ways, there are plenty of people who could eat at McDonald's. But if you see anyone that shops at Whole Foods, there's a pretty low likelihood that McDonald's is on their fast track for dinner, right? They don't believe same things. And so I think for the Pope, I would tell him, get real cozy with the notion of saying, this is what the Catholic Church is all about. Any church, any leader, love it, hate it, no matter, work with those that believe what you believe. So that's one. Number two is I think he needs real clarity around what it is they do stand for. There has been some waffling as of late. We've heard some things, but really over time, I think more often than not, at least in in the modern era, it seems like, Catholicism has been fairly clear about what it is they're all about. They just have to be really willing to understand that they might lose some younger people. They've got to know that that's just the nature of that beast. But aren't religions losing younger people? Big time. If they ever had them to begin with? Yeah. Can they get them back? For sure. I mean, uh, there has been, even as of late, even things like gay marriage being uh, allowed in some parts of the church and some other parts not so much. Oh, you mean like Ireland? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a thing, right? Well, that's a stunner. I mean, I am John Patrick Michael McMahon, and my heritage does go back there. And uh, Ireland, while a delight on many, many levels, uh, one of the most beautiful lands in the world, when we were talking about the relationship between the church and that government... The church ran it. No doubt. Not anymore. Nope. And I'll give you an example of where this gets really interesting. And I'm just pulling this out of thin air, so please no one come find me and hurt me because this is just... Well, we are going to give you a address, though, later. That's bad. (laughs) I'll give you a fake one. Um, Let's say things like uh, the Baptist church. They might say, we believe in technology. Excuse me? What? Imagine if a church, we're just going to say Baptist for no apparent reason, If they said, we believe that technology is here to stay, it's not slowing down. In fact, it's part of our culture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to tweet every hour a psalm, a fable, a prayer, or something. Feel free to join our Twitter feed. They may say things like, we're going to pick four services, East Coast, Midwest, Northeast, West, and we're going to live stream every day a live service. They might say things like, we're going to have a Facebook page and we want you to encourage you to share your story of what the Baptist world is doing. Put it on Facebook. They, they may say that that core value, the thing that they stand for, is technology. Now that's got literally nothing to do with religion, but it is a way that they can absolutely attract people because there are certainly people who say, oh, I'm... I'm not really good with technology. I, I don't want an iPhone. I want my old landline with this cord connected to the kitchen wall. Or there are some who say, no, no, no. If it's not on my iPhone, if I can't stream it on Netflix, I'm not interested. 
again, it's finding these camps of people that believe certain things. And so religious entities could absolutely adopt things that have nothing to do with religion to attract people. One of the things I always talk about with my company is I always say things like, um, we we believe in making huge mistakes, not small ones. I, I would love to say that my team gets this right all the time. We don't. But things like if your name is Patrick and I somehow missed that you uh, really prefer Pat, but I wrote Patrick on a note to you, that's a small mistake that's going to bother you. I would rather make a huge mistake like calling you Pete because that's so odd that it's more forgivable than a small mistake. That's a core belief. So oddly, things like uh, a church deciding to say we believe in technology could be a way to attract younger people. All right, let's talk about the Baptists and the Methodists and the Lutherans because we've spent too much time talking on my crowd uh, and people will automatically be suspicious that I'm trying to pile up graces for later. Understood. Uh, later on. Do you remember that? I do. Right? Let's develop those graces. Someday you may want to cash them in. Uh, Protestants, uh, they left. They left. And there's billions of them. Different names, but a whole bunch of them in different parts of the world. And they left because they were fed up. They, they said, wait a minute, we don't buy this, we don't buy this. number of reasons why uh, Martin Luther in particular said, I'm not into where the hierarchy is going. I'm going to start my own thing. Isn't that the story of religion? Isn't, isn't basically all of religion that they got fed up and they left? Yes, yeah. because a whole bunch of people, well, some people left Islam. Right. <laughs> and some became Sunnis, and some became the other guys. And you go back to Shia. Abraham, I mean, you and, know, everyone just got yes. fed up and left. But these people left and then broke up into a whole bunch of different things. But none of them individually, and I don't think that anybody can argue this, has the powerful image, the brand of Roman Catholicism still. Right. Even with the scandals of the Roman Catholic Church that are not just contemporary, Protestantism, it, well, in fact, someone told me one time something that was unforgettable, and it was a Protestant, and he said, on the air, he said, you know, it's really interesting that when the Pope, no matter what Pope it is, or if he's been on the throne for a very short period of time. If he gets a headache that's really serious, it's on page one of every major newspaper of the world. The head of the Methodist church can die, and it's near the want ads, which is not a lack of respect for Methodism. It's just that image that has been created over the centuries. What can the Protestants do? I think the lesson there, believe it or not, can be learned from the Academy Awards. The Oscars, right? Yeah. The Academy for Motion Arts and Sciences. Pat, is that the only group of people that on an annual basis gives out awards for best actor, best director, best editing, etc.? Yes or no? Well, no. No. Because, no, it's, the, it's in fact, we just had the Golden Globes and we have exactly. SAG and we have all these other things. But what gets the press? Well, that's the thing is the, the Oscars, the Academy of, uh, Science, of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has deemed it worthy of their time, money, and energy to build the biggest, most lavish bad boy show going. They make it a big deal. Can you name another city-state that is run by a religious organization? 
I, I mean, it's, it's its own country, Vatican City. Nobody I, says anything about the Episcopal flag. Correct, right? <laughs> and so I think if, if whether it's the Methodists or the Protestants or whoever, if they want to attain that same sort of level, in some ways it's a good thing, in many ways it's a bad thing, all they have to do is just simply build it. How? Well, first and foremost, they've got to put the money and the resources towards it. I mean, you think about the sheer dollars that go into the thing that is Catholicism. I mean, it's big bucks. So you have to have the bankroll for it first. Two, in my mind, is you have to have the appetite to understand that you're going to get dinged. Remember I said it's not for everybody. You're going to make a choice to say who's in and who's out. You're going to lose some people. Uh, and that's something that lots of people really struggle with. You know, everyone wants to be friends with everybody. No. So be willing to watch people go away. So that's number two. I think third, as much as anything, is start being loud. I, I, I honestly think that it's a matter of really raising the voice, amplifying the message, and then that will start to attract some of those people that you have lost with new people who actually have a shared sense of beliefs and purpose. Are the televangelists loud? Yeah, but they're probably the wrong way because what they're, already, what they're doing is talking to the crowd that's already there. They're not talking to anybody new. So they're just, they're, it, it, pardon the pun, they're preaching to the choir. <laughs> but they aren't really branding themselves while they're doing it, are they? They're not. We have no idea what sets them apart. I mean, let's look at it from the perspective of, and, not, and I'm naive around this. You know so much more than I do. You can fill in the gaps here for me. But if we were able to, to line up even individuals, whether it's a Protestant, a Lutheran, a Methodist, a Baptist, we said, what are the differences between these different religions? They're all based on Christianity. They all share the same Bible. It, it's tough. I think what they don't do is celebrate the things they individually stand for in a loud, amplified, clear-cut way. The core belief... That's a big part of religion. I mean, if you say core belief to most pastors, ministers, rabbis. They're saying Jesus, Son of God, etc. But it's deeper, than, it's different than but that. But you deal in core belief. I do. Talk about the difference. Yeah, that's really uh, more along the lines of uh, the notion of core belief in religion being the difference, at least in the religions that we're speaking of, of Jesus being the Son of God, what that salvation comes from that belief, right? But from a branding perspective, it's a little bit different. It's uh, things like we're going to be family friendly. We're going to uh, be an hour long service. We're going to give back not just our treasures, but our time. Those sort of ancillary elements are what make that brand come alive to people. At its base, at its deepest core level, so many of those religions are same-same. And so what are those little nuanced differences? That's the stuff that they've got to, that's the area they've got to play in. Now, you said uh, just a few minutes ago that every church, like every business, every other business, uh, has to be prepared to lose some customers. Yeah. And most of them are not. Correct. Prepared. The Methodist church said, we're prepared to lose the gaze of our community. The Methodist Church, just recently, having discussed this, and the, the, the juggling balls have been in the air for a long time, sure. uh, they have said 
Now, we can't buy into the acceptance of gay membership if it includes uh, sacramental acceptance, uh, gay marriage, and so on. Another division of Methodism said, no, wait a minute. No, they're welcome here for every reason to participate in every sacrament that we offer and every activity. Now we're talking about two different Methodist churches, the ones who said we're willing to lose some, but that isn't a very good public relations image, is it? It really depends on how you look at it. To me, I think it's probably the ultimate expression in what we're talking about, where that one half that was pro-gay marriage, that's what they stand for. The other half that said, no, we're going to keep things the way they are, that's what they stand for. And the division of people that will follow the two different sects is pretty clear. That willingness to upset the apple cart, to, to really truly push some people away in a very strong way, there is not a whole lot of gray. That is very black and white. That's what branding is really all about. I'll give you one that's um, similar, and this might make some sense. Um, most people, I think, are familiar with REI, which is a sort of an outdoor camping. We have them in the Valley of yeah, the Sun. they're great. And um, REI has, as you could guess, a lot of different companies that supply them the goods on their shelves. Well, uh, not too many years ago, after one of the many school shootings, there was a manufacturer that had products like bike helmets and backpacks that hold water and things that have nothing to do with guns on the store shelves at REI. That manufacturer of all those things also had some divisions that sold ammunition and some gun sight parts. And REI said, we make no distinction between the products we sell and the other ones that you manufacture. If you're gonna be part of the REI community, which is all about loving outdoors and preserving nature, if you wanna sell your stuff here, you have to stop with the ammunition. Mm. I mean, yeah, we don't sell that stuff. We just do bike helmets and backpacks. But because you do those other things, we're not interested in your other products. They drew a line in the sand. That is something. Because those products meant a lot to REI. Uh, one of those products is called a Camelback. It's mm. this backpack that holds water. Mm -hmm. And for guys like you and me out here in the desert, that's a product that, you know, that matters. Yes, retaining life. It retains life. And so when they made that decision, the same way the Methodist Church made that decision, it is a hard line. And they know that it's going to have repercussions. It's the willingness to absorb those repercussions that is actually pretty monumental. It's worth praise. Even if you disagree with the decision, I think anyone can look at least from a distance and go, man, that took some guts. And so for the, those that might have some umbrage with the decision made by those two different sects of the Methodist Church, just at least give them some praise for making the decision. Most people just wallow and, and, and don't. They just kind of waft in nowhere for a long time. They might be eligible for a torch award from the Better <laughs> Business Bureau. Correct. Um, how old were you when you started making waves with the Catholic priest that was irritated with you asking questions about why and how come? Yeah, uh, pretty young. And I remember it pretty clearly. It wasn't a priest. It was uh, CCD, was, you know, the, the, the little instruction stuff um i was probably catechism, catechism. yeah i was probably uh under 10 i was in the mm -hmm. seven eight nine ten i mean i remember really truly i was always that kid though i, I always stirred a little stirred the pot asked some tough questions but i remember asking 
some questions that had why. Why? Why is that? Well, just because. Well, no, 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 no. I need more than that, please. Sorry my wife isn't in the studio right now because she was kicked out of catechism about the same age for exactly the same reason. That's why I liked your wife when I met her. I knew that we would be friends. <laughs> she wanted to know, well, how come we have to do that? I don't understand. Exactly. But what if, you know, well, that was about enough of that. Yeah. I think in general terms, the church has kind of loosened up, uh, from what I understand, about answering questions uh, and not being quite as sensitive about that kind of thing. However, there are a number of people who think that making waves when it comes to faith. Now, let's let's just talk about that word. Sure. That's the acceptable F word that ah. all religions embrace. I'm going to steal that line, by the way. And faith, and faith is not supposed to be a product, according to the practitioners, the faithful the members of the flock. And they are saying, making waves when it comes to faith and the things that we have believed for this many thousands or hundreds of years. To make waves is irreverent. Oh, it's troublesome, isn't it? Yeah. But they feel that it is, it is anti-faith that it is irreverent and disrespectful. I, I think that's really well said, Pat, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to actually talk about it. Um, certainly the waves that I make in a corporate environment are typically not meant to be disrespectful. But in this particular instance, on The God Show, I can absolutely see why you would make that statement. I, and I think you're right. It's another F word, fundamental, to any religion is faith, right? It's basically, it's the thing. Without faith, you don't have, I mean, what evidence, and I know that there are tremendous numbers of books and pundits and people who say there, you know, there's actual physical evidence, but at, at, its, at the end of the day, all religion comes down to the notion of faith. It really does. Um, I, I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world. I've stood in front of Shinto temples in Japan. I have been to uh, Arabic countries and heard the call for prayer a few times throughout the day. I have uh, stood inside the Vatican and uh, walked through the halls of the Taj Mahal, which is not a religious symbol. Um, and I've seen all these different people, and I think that they all have faith. They have faith too. And so it is really, truly, I think uh, your point is very well made that when you tell someone that their faith might be misguided, that's making a wave that can be very disrespectful, and it's not meant to be. If that sister, that brother, that priest that was there uh, at the other end of your interrogation when you were 10, if that person had answered your questions and continued to say, please, always feel free to come in, would you still be a Catholic? Great question. I, I think my mother would certainly choose for that to be the case, but uh, that, that is maybe the world's biggest unknown. I, I would tell you this. Um, the thing that I really, really, really encourage people, both in my line of work, but certainly in this one, is to be curious. It's really okay to be curious and ask questions. And in so many ways, I think that was the thing that your wife probably experienced too, is that curiosity was just shut down. We were just told, nope, it just is. And that's really hard for a certain group of people, me and your wife, I think, uh, being a couple of them. Curiosity is really what makes the world a better place. It's how we've evolved and uh, created so many amazing things and fixed so many problems and solved so many issues by being curious. 
And there is a place, at least in this man's opinion, for curiosity in all religions. There are televangelists, and I must say, I cannot remember the last time that I actually watched one. Uh, and I should, every once in a while, tune in just simply to stay on top of what it is that they're doing now for the sake of this program. Uh, but uh, televangelists, for the most part, uh, have left me with negative feelings because of the tremendous emphasis on hustling money. Uh, I will pray for you. Oh, and by the way, we could really use your donations, and I'll send you a small drawing of this, this person who made a difference in my life. And, and just always the hustle. Is there anything George Carlin, the comedian, said that best? <laughs> Do you remember what he said? Oh, well, I mean, that whole, that is about as good as it gets. Uh, that's very YouTubeable. But when he talked about how God can create all these amazing things, but he couldn't balance a budget, I mean, that, that's it's pretty great. Exactly one of the reasons why it is that we had you comping on, because you're talking to businesses about balancing their budget, making a profit, being successful by making people satisfied with that product. And yet, the televangelist, for the most part, the ones that I have seen turn me off, except for Joel Osteen. And I can't tell you that I'm a raving fan, and I'm not a follower. Uh, Joel has been uh, on a couple of shows of mine, and a delightful uh, fellow, a good conversationalist, interesting person on a broad range of subjects. But what I like best is, at least to the best of my knowledge, he doesn't ask people for money. Uh, he leaves that kind of up to voluntary contributions. Now he has an arena, of course, that used to belong to the NBA. I mean, that's 30,000 plus people in Houston and every Sunday. That's a big church. Per event. Yeah, that's real. Per service. Now he's doing something that's obviously attractive, but at least one of the things that he isn't doing is he doesn't directly ask people for money. And I can't think of other representatives of other religions that don't do that. I do not know what I speak of right here. So I'm going to put the world's biggest asterisk by this statement. The one thing that Joel and perhaps others in a similar boat would do to maybe make me feel a little bit better about it is to also loudly and proudly say, yeah, I make a lot of money and live a very good life from this. I work really hard and I encourage a lot of people to find God and do the right thing and part of the fruits of my labor include, I'm going to drive a nice car, and I'm going to live in a great house, and I'm going to go on some banging vacations and wear a $4,000 suit. And if you've got a problem with that, fine. But know that part of the equation of me is that component too. I, if they could come clean on that, that would really help me. The next time that Joel Osteen is on the show, and I will book him, I will bring that up to him. Yeah. But we also have to recognize the fact that there is actually a fairly substantial group of people representing a church based on prosperity. For sure. They do exactly that. For sure. Say, I want you to see me in a role. Model this behavior, yeah. And uh, they have followers. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like Jesus, though. Not to me. Again, this is a, a, an area where you're the expert. I'm just the branding guy. Um, the thing that's interesting for me, I, it's, this is a little bit of a perhaps on the verge of too much information. My mom, the Catholic Italian 
Um, her name is Frances. Now, spelled different, it's an I versus an E. Uh, she's an E. But when Pope Francis got put into position, she, for the first time in my life, really distanced herself from the Catholic Church. And I really struggled with that. And it's because she said something along the lines of, we help enough poor people. Mm. And I thought, wow, this is a, like the least Jesus-like thing going. It's, it's like the, the one thing that I found salvation in the Catholic Church with the new Pope especially was that he was looking out for those uh, a little less fortunate, those who caught far fewer breaks. And so for me, that was, that was a tough pill to swallow. I don't know where she currently is on things. I haven't talked to her about it in years at this point. I mean, we talk, I just haven't brought it up. Um, but I think that those things about money and religion, boy, those two, those are fractious elements that, I mean, that's why we're told not to talk about those things in polite company. And it's also nothing, nothing related to the life of Jesus. It certainly doesn't seem like it, right? I mean, he was a poor carpenter. So when you're talking, though, about that figure that influences the life and times and behavior of billions upon billions of people, billions that have gone, yeah. and he's still that prominent, how is it that that brand has continued so successfully? Wow. That is a question that is probably a full book needs to be written about this one. Good job, Pat. Um, you know, there's probably lots of reasons. I think, one, there is a certain sort of built-in tradition, and that might be the right word. Even things like when you and I were born, it was just a known commodity that very soon thereafter we were going to be baptized. It was part of the original deal. I mean, you're a couple days, weeks old, baptized. I mean, that's one of the first things that happened to us as young Catholics. In many other religions, it's very similar, where you know, you're, you're sort of brought along by your parents and I think there's also societal factors. I mean, we literally have in God we trust in our money. Uh, every hotel has a Bible. I mean, those are part of the equations. It's just it's kind of, you know, everywhere. There are no Gideon people around, but there are Bibles around. Where are these Gideon people putting Bibles in? I was just in a hotel, and I opened a drawer simply to put my socks in, and I wasn't going to put my socks on top of a Bible. It's just it's one of those things that I lived with from Catholic school, that's all. Don't put your socks on top of a Bible. I think it's the 12th commandment. Especially your dirty socks, that's even worse. But the Gideon people, I really wonder, do you know anything about them? I don't, I do tell you, I'll tell you this, last week I was at a hotel in San Diego and my Bible was provided by the LDS church. Ah, really? So maybe the Gideons have some competition. But wait a minute, Jesus still is hanging around those folks too, virtually the newest of the huge religions of the world. Uh, also some cool cathedrals. LDS, yes. But I think we're losing a part of our audience, and these people are welcome on the God show, not the Jesus show. Uh, we're talking about God and religion and branding and creating higher levels of success, enthusiasm, and attraction for customers. So what could Judaism do? Ooh. Boy, they've been around for a long, long time. Hey, they were around telling Jesus what to do. They sure were. <laughs> they sure were. I, I think it, you know, this is ubiquitous. It's, it crosses every major region. Same rules? Yeah, for sure. I mean, no matter the industry, no matter the brand, no matter the company or organization, certainly... 
it works with every religion. If you just get the basics right, and I think in many ways it's now trying to find those non-traditional channels to get your message out. Um, the world that you and I occupy, and everyone else for that matter, is constantly evolving. But even in just a short few years, we have really seen the way messages get delivered. It's changed. I mean, just look at the way politics now. They're discussed at nauseum at every outlet known to man with different bents. And so what's to stop religions from following that model of delivery? The messages have been there for a long, 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 long time. But the delivery method has been simply go to church. And, you know, we could look at like Joel Osteen's a great example, being on TV. I mean, that's really adapting and adopting. I mean, you know, Jerry Falwell, go back. Those guys use TV. Well, now we're looking at things like on demand. We're using at things like mobile devices. We're looking at print falling to the wayside. I think the messages have always been, but the religions that really want to step up and try to get new people and be more modern, current, and available to people on the regular, they've got to use the technologies of the day. Can you imagine someone right now that has a congregation of very faithful Islamic people and he or she is listening to Brian Burkhardt, whose business is to brand businesses so that they can be more successful than they are. That's what the book is about, stand for something. But with Islam, with Islam, I have a doctor, I have a local physician who sometimes appears before congressional committees talking about that segment of Islam that is made up of moderate people, made up of peace-loving people, who are, are absolutely opposed to any terrorist activity. You mean the majority of people that follow Islam? Uh, the yes, vast majority. Yeah. But how do you brand a religion for the rest of the folks who are not Muslim and say, no, wait a minute, folks. I'll, I'll give you one. Want to talk about don't, making don't waves? generalize about this. Right. Here's a way you can make crazy waves, right? Imagine if a group that was absolutely led and funded and part of that vast majority of the Islamic uh, church decided that they wanted to have a channel on TV that gets put on airlines. I fly all the time, right? I'm on airplanes all the time. And I find myself being able to do things like watch NFL football games, which is a brand, while flying at 33,000 feet. Imagine if this major group, the largest group of people that follow Islam, where we're able to put a TV channel that talked about all the positive things, the doctor in the community who's helping people, and put stories, and somehow, way had that distributed on things like an in-flight television channel. That's a non-traditional methodology, still telling the stories of that religion and the incredible people that are part of it, but using new distribution methods to get the word out. Who would be interested other than uh, other Muslims? Well, that's the thing. Is it could probably, I mean, same thing could be said about the NFL network. If you're not a football plan, you're not going to watch. But it's that notion of even imagine the buzz. Imagine how many people, content providers, news outlets, aggregators of different stories throughout the day would say, launching today, the Islam channel on American Airlines. It would be pressworthy. It would be buzzworthy. There's a likelihood some people, even if it's just out of pure curiosity, would take a look. Why is religious broadcasting almost exclusively Christian? 
It's a great question. I, I think people just aren't making the choice to engage in it. But to me, that solution that you have offered is one that began with media. Yeah. It began with a guy saying, if you put this box in your house, you can listen to music. And the musicians don't even have to be near you. It's going to happen through the air. It's called radio. And then it was called television. And then it was Bishop Fulton Sheen with one of the highest rated television shows of its era on the Dumont Network. And he just stood and talked. And people listened by the millions. And there are the televangelists. Yep. And there are all of these other Christian groups. And I've always wondered, where are the Jews? Maybe you should do it. <laughs> I mean, you could change <laughs> your last name. <laughs> do a thing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Pat Rabinowitz, what do you think? Huh? It's got a nice ring to it. Uh, I just don't think that Rabbi McMahon is going to sell. But I'm serious, though, when I tell you that I've always wondered why it is that these other churches, many of them flush with money, why they don't use it to spread the message electronically. It does seem like a miss to me, especially knowing that, um, I mean, you just look at the sheer volume of video content that exists. I mean, and everyone has a cell phone now that is a mobile device with all of those capabilities. We've got TVs essentially in our pocket. It seems like the world's biggest no-brainer to me. You could stream Hinduism. Exactly. And people who had no idea what it was about before, some of them would say, really? And think about it from this perspective, this notion of like, let's go back just a few moments to this Islam channel. If it, why would you watch? Imagine if you had a part of your programming to be profiles on amazing people that happen to have that religion in their background. I mean, the sheer volume of incredible stories that you can get there, and that is enough. That's intriguing enough. That's historical and compelling enough. And, oh, by the way, they just happen to be Islam or of uh, Judaism, whatever it is. It could be a really interesting way of wait getting minute, people wait a minute. attracted. We could call it The God Show and put it on the Star Worldwide Net. Oh, oh, oh we do that. You do that. I love this. <laughs> okay, one minute to go. Couple of keys to doing it better after centuries. Speak now to all the religious leaders who are listening. Get very, very clear on what it is you stand for. Get real comfortable with losing a big chunk of your flock and then amplify, turn up the volume on what it is that you're all about. You've got to let people know. It's got to be clear and it's got to be consistent. Uh, but more than anything, it's those three things. Know what you stand for. Be okay losing people and turn up the volume. You think that they are hesitant now to do it because they're afraid? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think religion has been, is, in, in a general way, has just been beat up for a while now. And I'm one of the guys typically beating it up. So I think it's something that people have made a conscious choice to sort of back away from. So let's you and me get together and we'll keep beating them up until they jump up and punch us in the face and say, all right, we heard you. Maybe it's time to brand a little differently and talk about those core beliefs. I think that'd be great. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable getting beat up anymore. I mean, if you read my book, I take the gloves off on a number of big companies that will probably never hire me again, but that's okay. Is this the one called Stand for Something? Power of Building a Brand People Authentically Love? Oh, the one by Brian Burkhart, B-U-R-K-H-A-R-T. 
Thank you very much. I love this hour. We'll have to do it again sometime. You're the best. Especially if we find out that some of the religions were paying attention and they start passing the basket and find out they're doing something right. Do we get a royalty check of that? (laughs) We'll check. Hey, thank you so much for being part of our uh, gathering of customers on the Star Worldwide Networks. And never forget this title, The God Show. I'm Pat McMahon. 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 I'm Pat McMahon.